welcome to The Lifted Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Denham, and this is a place for us to talk about what we're doing every day to raise our vibration and understand ourselves more deeply as energetic beings and co-creators. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode. If you have been with me for a while, I just want to say thank you so much. It's really an honor to show up in this way and hold space with you on a weekly basis like this. So thank you for being here. And if you have just found the show, episodes drop every Wednesday morning. And I'm Helen. I'm an empowerment coach, meditation teacher, behavior change specialist, among other things, multifaceted as we all seem to be these days. And we have got another wonderful episode ahead of us. We have Flynn Skidmore here. He is a public speaker and coach with a mission to bring us back to our most authentic selves. He says, it's my life's work to embrace self-improvement as a process of self-realization, to connect with the deeper truth of what we want in life, free of social expectations and fear, to live everyday learning how to more deeply embody ourselves and what makes us feel good, and to learn how to do this with ever-increasing ease. He says, I want to help you do the same, and it's a deeply important moment every time someone discovers how to be kind to themselves. It means something when you learn to bring your vulnerable, loving, joyful self fully into the world. And I believe it's my purpose in life to help you in that process. So Flynn and I have just an awesome back and forth today. I really just felt like I was sitting, hanging out with uh, someone I'd known for a while. Honestly, he brings so much beautiful insight and a really refreshing perspective on life. And I know that you guys are going to enjoy this so much as well. So in the meantime, while you're listening, if you feel like a buddy might benefit from what you're hearing, please do send along. You can find me on Instagram at Helen Denham underscore and at the lifted podcast and Flynn is at Flynn Skidmore. Thank you again for being here and I will talk to you on the flip side. How's your day going? Good. I was just over at a client's place visiting with her horses. So whenever I get to go to the ranch, I, um, it's a great day. That's really cool. What were you doing with her? I lived on her ranch for like a month over the summer and ended up doing web design for her. So now I go and just pop in and out and do some like tech stuff with her. But I, I really go to see the horses. <laughs> that's super, super cool. Did yeah. you grow up with horses? Like, do you have a particular kind of relationship with them? You know, I, well, I grew up just loving animals and taking like a few lessons here and there, but I try to find them. Honestly, whenever I travel, the first thing I look up is like horseback riding or just to be around them. So there's that's, a little, there's something there. That's super, super cool. Thank yeah. You. I, I'm always interested in the relationship between humans and horses. It's such a fascinating thing. Yeah. She, so she does like um, equine therapy with them. Cool. So people will like work, work through like breath work with them. And it's pretty cool what happens when people just like make that connection. It's so, so beautiful what happens when people make that connection. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, something that's really, I learned this in high school and it's really like, uh, it's just made me fascinated by horses, which is um, there is so everywhere where culture developed, where, where like economies, um, shared markets and all that kind of stuff were places where horses could travel. So it's like terrain that allowed for horse travel was really the thing that was responsible for the development of like um, international economy. Mm. And so like horses are essential to the development of human culture and society, which is just a really cool thing to think about. 
Oh, I love that. That's so cool. Right? Yes. Well, how's your day going, Flynn? I was just trying to figure out where you are, where you're doing your surfing. It looks like you're in, um, are you in San Diego? I'm in San Diego. Cool. Yeah. So I live in San Diego. My day today has been really great. Um, Woke up and took a long walk with my sister, with coffee, with our dog. And then there's this new surf shop here and they're doing an awesome job. And I just like get really excited and inspired by small businesses doing stuff. So hung out with them in there and just spoke with them and um, worked out and now here. Good. All right, Flynn. Well, the first question I love to ask guests is how do you like to start your day off? Do you have any rising routines or rituals that you go to? Yeah, for sure. Um, So the first thing when I open my eyes is I practice appreciation. Um, And so the thing for me about appreciation rather than gratitude is that appreciation is about an exchange of energy. Like I want to be giving something to the thing that I'm thankful for to appreciate its value. So that might be like my sheets. I really like my sheets. They're linen sheets. So one of the first things that I usually appreciate is like the sensory experience of the sheets on my body. Um, And I think about like all of the things that have gone into the capacity for someone to be able to produce linen sheets, all the parts involved, all the innovation. And that just kind of like expands my worldview immediately as soon as I wake up. Um, And then I drink 30 ounces of warm lemon water with sea salt, Celtic sea salt. Um, And then I do movement stuff outside normally, and then breath work. And then I do another appreciation practice. And then I take a cold shower. And then I write for about 20 to 30 minutes, um, plan out my day and write. Mm, Oh my gosh, so much beauty packed in there from biohacking. I love that you reframed gratitude to like appreciation and honoring. And I find that as well, when I'm in my meditation classes or whatever, when we're practicing gratitude, it really sets the the bar at a place of safety and stability for the whole day going forward, um, Mm. which just allows you to just feel good and not in fight or flight so much. Do you find Mm -hmm. the same? Yeah. What do you think that is? Why do you think that happens? Well, I think especially in the morning, like you're describing, getting up and making that a practice of honoring and reverence first thing, it's like, it can be so easy to jump out of bed and think of a to-do list, especially if we go, if we, I find that the morning routine starts with the night as well, like making Mm -hmm. sure that you're really relaxed going in. But if we're jumping out of bed and we're like, okay, who needs me right now? And it's like, it gives you a really intentional time to slow down um, and, and really be conscious about how we move through the rest of the day and sets the tone. So I hope, I don't know if I responded to that. No, that's, exactly, but yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the things that I've been over the last couple of weeks in particular, like my growth over the last couple of weeks has been with my relationship with emotions. And in that, I realized that what I've been doing with my morning routine for, I mean, I've probably been doing that morning routine, something similar for 15 years. Um, And I realized that what I've been doing for 15 years is trying to cultivate a certain emotion. And if I, and the, and that's nice. Like I want to feel joyful and peaceful. However, 
I think what I've been doing is attaching too much weight to that emotional state. Like thinking about my emotional state like it's an indication of how my life is going. And so if I'm not able to cultivate a certain emotion in the morning, I actually get super frustrated and like cranky. Um, and it's hard for me, like it's, it's harder to interact with people because I'm, the way that I'm experiencing non-joy is like, fuck, my life is not going the way that I want it to be going. It like colors my reality. So what I've been practicing with my morning routine is um, it's like noticing the emotional state rather than like doing the morning routine for the purpose of cultivating an emotional state, um, which has been cool. Mm, yeah, it sounds like you're kind of, I, I saw a reel today that you did, I think, which was about surrender and just like allowing whatever's going to come up to come up. Is that how you're kind of processing this is just allowing whatever emotion is going to come through and being okay with it and sitting with it? Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, I think try, starting to see, I think for a couple of years now, I've been seeing like, if it brings you joy, then that means it's right. Or if it feels good, that that means it's right. I think I've been seeing that as the compass, but I'm starting to change my view on that now. And I think that there are other more valuable things for us to use as our compass. Um, and I think that when we use those other things, which we can speak about and explore, and explore, when we use those other things as our compass and as our, our way of determining how things are going, then with emotions, we, we create a more unadulterated relationship with emotions. Because so what happens then if, if I'm looking at certain things to let me know that my life is moving in the direction that I want, and then I wake up and I feel sad, well, the sadness is not scary anymore. Like it's some indication of how things are. The sadness just becomes an emotional state that I get to savor and experience as just part of this experience of being a human. Um, so for me, that is right now what surrendering to an emotion means is like, uh, is, is setting myself up in my mind and body to be able to appreciate an emotion, even if it doesn't feel that good. Mm, yeah, I think that's really important to acknowledge as well, because I think a lot, a lot of the times in the spiritual community, it can be a constant conversation about raising our vibration, like always being in a good feeling, but forgetting that the beautiful part of being human is having this all-encompassing ability to experience all these varying emotions. And if we're going to push down the sadness or make it bad or wrong, we start to integrate shame and then it just builds up and it will explode in another way that we don't, or I believe develop disease in the body if we repress yeah. negative emotion. Has that happened to you? Yeah, it has happened to me. Um, I lost a patch of hair one time because I was so stressed and like my, it was just mental stress and it was just like, okay, Helen, you really need to look at this. Or I even noticed the way that I eat changes um, and my body will change based on how I feel if I'm emotionally eating. So I think it, it completely plays into our biology. How about you? Have you found that as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I, um, yeah, I, when I'm feeling a way that I don't like, and I'm, and I'm like in, and I'm in a state of mind where that feeling is an indication of the direction that my life is going. 
I freak the fuck out. Like I get super controlling and I want to control like, then it's like, okay, no, I need to be like super disciplined with my morning routine, super disciplined with my evening routine and try to control and control and control in response to being afraid of of an emotional state that's just going to pass. And I think the thing that, the thing that I'm really starting to embrace, and this has been, this is, it's an interesting thing because the the women in my life who are really cool and really insightful say this all the time and have always said this to me. And I'm like really just starting to understand this is like, even when I like make it in the ways that I want to make it, I'm still going to wake up feeling sad and depressed some days. Like it's never going to go away and trying to create a life where those things don't exist makes it so that you create a life where you are a slave to those things. Um, so that's what I've been trying to practice. Um, and it's just been like a week, but it's been feeling really good. Yeah. And you know, I think this leads into also a conversation about masculinity and vulnerability and being okay with feeling those emotions and not having to have this like one stagnant, you know, vision of who you're supposed to be as a man or as a woman as well. Um, you know, so there's all these kind of gender roles that I, I really am so happy that our society has been breaking the last five to 10 years. But when did you start to get like really comfortable with yourself as a man, exploring your emotions and talking about it openly? Was there a point? Um, I, it's definitely an ongoing process. And even now, like it's, I'm, I'm, um, I've been in, I've been dating someone which is now transitioning into a relationship um, for a couple months now. And it's really cool to see how there's, how much more there is to learn. You know, like this is, this particular relationship is bringing up vulnerability in me that I've been able to avoid before. Um, And I wasn't necessarily aware of the avoidance, maybe a little bit aware, Um, but now I can't avoid it. And I'm, and I'm seeing, you know, these ways that I'm still associating sadness with weakness or like, if I'm not presenting as able to protect, and if I'm not presenting as so confident, then I'm going to be not attractive and like, it's going to gross her out. That's really what I'm operating with. Um, and that's super scary. So like, I think it's always this learning process and it's so amazing to be able to engage with a woman who can like be kind to that because the kindness then learn, lets me learn that it's not gross. And then it helps me experience less of that insecurity. Um, but I think I started to learn that at like 17 Um, I started to learn those things that like the version of masculinity that I had been given um, was this version of masculinity that's really rooted in the performance of confidence and that actually women, if this version of masculinity is like to signal confidence to women generally, women are not tricked by that. They know what the fuck is up. And so when I realized that at 17 or 18, I was like, oh shit, if that's the case, if, if like my, if I'm, if women are seeing through me and seeing what's actually happening, then I really want to learn how to make what they're seeing something that I feel proud of. 
Um, so that honestly, that was one of the things that really accelerated my trajectory into this path. What a um, wonderful realization to have. I wish all men would have it. It's just amazing because it's so true. And I think mo most everybody can see right through that. It's a very thin wall of kind of a, a fake almost confidence. And have you found that your partner now, I bet she really appreciates it. And like you get closer when you open up to her and when you drop the walls, like, right, it creates more beautiful intimacy. Totally. Um, totally. Yeah, it's, it's, it creates a lot of beautiful intimacy. And I think one of the things, it creates so much beautiful intimacy and so much closeness. And it actually, it makes me, as a result of being someone who is pretty emotionally competent um, in terms of my awareness and my communication, it, it makes me really confident because I understand how much, I mean, people, but I'm just speaking about my experience, which is in a heterosexual relationship. I understand how much women value that. And I think that right now, men don't understand how much women value that. And I think that if men understood how much women value that and were supported in their development to be able to do that, they would be excited to do it. I think that they would be excited to do it. I just think that right now men don't really know that that is super attractive. Mm -hmm. Not only that, it also gives women the opportunity to feel safe opening up as well, because there's a whole nother, uh, you know, thing going on in the women's mind that it's like, oh, I don't want to be too needy or I don't want to overly express what I want or I just need to back off or I can't communicate. Like there's so many stories that we've built in. It's yes. just really, we kind of give each other permission to open up more when, when we do that. When I, have, have you experienced that? Like, have you experienced like that, like that thing of being able to open, being like, oh my God, I'm allowed to open up and show more things here? Yes, absolutely. The last guy I was dating is such an awesome guy. And we were in each other's lives for the perfect amount of time. But like, he would say things that would shock me so much because <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I would just laugh all the time. It was part of his humor. It was so funny. But I, I started to feel like there was literally nothing I could say to him that would make me unlovable or unworthy or like mm. bad or wrong. Things that I would never have opened up to about other people openly. Like, so he was definitely a catalyst for growth in just this last year. And it was really refreshing. And it was this almost like I'm kind of going through my Saturn return or I'm approaching it. And I just felt like it was a marker of like emotional maturity to be able to have that kind of exchange with somebody where there's not games anymore. It's just oh like, God. you're just being humans. If you don't yes. like each other, you don't, it's okay. Yes. But it's just have fun and just be honest. And yeah. honesty and authenticity was really like that point. It was, it was awesome. That, that I love that you got to experience that. That makes me so happy. And it also makes me really, I feel really curious about like learning about how he became that way, because I think that in 20 years, this won't be the case, but right now it is pretty rare for men to know how to do that. Not to say that they don't want to do that, but I just think knowing how to do it is, is a different thing than wanting to do it. Yes. And yeah. it's, um, it's, it's just really cool to hear about men who are leading the charge in that way and like really know how to do that. 
Yeah. And it made him absolutely magnetic. Just that, just that, because he opened up like this whole level of exchange, not just between me and him, but everybody in our friend group and our circle and everything. And it's the same question I'll ask you about confidence as well. Like his confidence, I noticed he had an extremely, um, intentional mindfulness practice. He was constantly curious and introspective mm. and, and practicing. So this is what I want to ask you too. Like, how did you build your confidence and what kind of practices have gone in over time mm. to help you really be confident? That's a really beautiful question. Thank you um, for asking that. I, as a little, I've, as a little kid, I was really confident. Um, I, was kind. I was really kind as a little kid. Um, and I think I enjoyed interacting with people. I was curious about people. Um, so I've, I've always, that is part of my makeup and where that comes from. I have no idea. I think people will try and answer that question forever, you know, where those kinds of things come from. So that, that was there as a little kid, but I grew up in a place where, and maybe, maybe a lot of men could say this, but I grew up in a place where kindness absolutely equaled vulnerability, like physical, it created a physical threat if you presented as kind. And so my kind, my, the confidence that came from this sense of kindness as like a kindergartner transformed in high school into arrogance and um and then it was when i was 17 or 18 that i started to realize this thing about the transparency of arrogance and all that and understood that underneath arrogance was all of this fear and pain and doubt about my own worth all those sorts of things um and I totally lost my confidence, like a million percent lost my mojo. I wasn't funny anymore. Like I, I was like, I didn't know how to be a person anymore for honestly a long time from like 19 to 23 or 24, probably. Um, and in building my confidence back, one thing has been really interesting is that it's always been it's when I, the first thing that leveled my confidence up after that kind of dark period was opening up a business at 24. And it was absolutely the external validation. I was like, okay, now the world is able to see me the way I experience myself. So like, now I feel a little bit better. I have some worth. And then the next thing happened, I got into grad school. I did horribly in high school and in college, like barely graduated both. And then I got into an Ivy League school for grad school. And so that was the next external validation thing. And then I started my therapy practice and that was the next external validation thing. But all the while through that whole process, um, what I was learning about is that when I understand how to make choices about how I want to be and what I want to do and, and how I want to feel, confidence just becomes this byproduct. So if like a really simple example is like, but I think a pretty relatable example is if I'm at a bar and I don't really drink, but if I'm at a bar and I want to experience joy, 
then I'm going to dance because I want to experience joy and dancing in that context is really like one of the best strategies for accessing joy. And so I, I, I don't really operate with like a, so much of a story of who I am. I'm just trying to get clear on what I want to be experiencing in terms of how I want to feel. And then I engage in strategies as experiments to access that feeling without tying too much narrative to those strategies. So that way of living life, I think, has just produced this thing that we call confidence. Um, generally. And, and I trust myself. I think what it is, is trust. Like I trust myself to be able to experience what I want to experience in almost any given circumstance. If I want to be curious, I'm going to engage in strategies to be curious. If I want to be joyful, engage in strategies to be joyful. To me, that's what now what feels like a way more stable version of confidence is rather than like external validation things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so cool to to know about your arc and how it started from kindness and being that being kind of a tricky thing and then moving through all of this. And I wanted to, you know, mention about kindness too. What I notice about people who are kind and how that exudes confidence is that it's almost like their cup is already filled with everything. So they just have more to give. Yes. People who are coming from like anger or just like little, you know, sticky, sticky emotions. It's like they, there's more to fill almost. And you can sense that. And it's really beautiful about kindness being linked to confidence. Yes. And then it sounds like at some point you were able to take responsibility for your own well-being. Like it's, it almost sounds like you got yourself out of a victim mentality and were like, okay, I have strategies for implementing joy. I have strategies for doing this. Like, yeah. does that make sense? Does, is that kind of what happened? Yeah, that's interesting. And I think that's still, I like that you frame it. Um, you frame it with the, the drama triangle perspective of victim, hero, perpetrator. Because yeah, I think that is that is what it is. The, the victim mentality that I was operating with, I think at the time was like, I see myself in this particular way. Like I feel like I can do anything, but the world isn't validating me for doing those things. So the world is doing this to me. And then I had to, yeah. So definitely experiencing myself as a victim and in that state where I was experiencing myself as capable of doing all these things, but like, I didn't want to do the work to actually do those things. I wanted it to be given to me like in a really entitled kind of way. And so what the last 10 years have been for me really, and it's absolutely a process, I fall into it all the time still, thinking that things like should be given to me is rather than seeing the world as like, I feel this way about myself, so therefore I should have it. Seeing the world as like, whoa, I want to create this thing and I love the process of creating it. And so I'm going to just do the process of creating it and whether or not I end up creating it, who the fuck cares? Like I want to experience the process of it. Um, That's what I like practice. And obviously it's not there all the time, but that's what I'm going for. Mm, So it's like a shift from entitlement to like owning your power and your creative energy. Yeah. Really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was there a, like a turning point, like in like going to grad school and, and shifting from, you know, starting your business? Was there a turning point where everything started to kind of change for you? And you were like, I really want to focus on empowerment work and therapy and mental well-being. Like what made you 
turn toward this work and start to, you know, take this journey. Cool. Okay. So when I, I went to college to play baseball and it's probably only like the reason I got into this school was because of that. Um, and then my freshman in the fall of my freshman year, I got injured and I was going to need another surgery, which would have been like the fourth surgery within a year and a half or two years. And after that, I was just was like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. So what I did instead of playing, because at that point I had no idea how to be, how to see myself as worthy for anything other than playing sports and being a guy who girls were into. Those are the only two things that I like under where the ways that I knew how to experience worthiness or value. And so then I was stripped of that thing or experienced myself as being stripped of it. And I replaced it with smoking so much weed and like watching documentaries about consciousness. <laughs> and then <laughs> I can relate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like staying up until four in the morning and being so gross. Um, and then I started to do yoga, continue to smoke a lot of weed and do yoga. And it just became apparent to me that there is nothing. We have this concept called the self and we think it's concrete. But all of the things that make up the self are malleable and changeable. They're dynamic and fluid. And so therefore the self is dynamic and fluid. And if the self is dynamic and fluid, then we can change into anything that we want to be. So at 18, I realized that, that humans can do that. And I was like, oh my fucking God, I want to learn everything about that. So at 18, I became very clear on how I wanted my days to look in terms of like morning routine and what I got to do. And actually a lot of that was informed by summer camp because I was happiest at summer camp. Um, and I knew what I wanted to learn, which was like consciousness and change and mind body connection. And so I just was like, I didn't care about anything else. I just wanted to learn that stuff. And it like therapy and that kind of just happened. It just fit into this larger thing of pursuing those two things of what I wanted to learn and how I wanted my days to be. Mm -hmm. It's like you were almost doing highest self visualizations from that point. Like you knew what your, your ideal day was going to look like. That's always what I tell clients and students in meditation. I'm like, this is how we get clarity. Like what would your ideal day look like? Do you feel like you've reached kind of like an ideal day life? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, I have, like I get to live in a way that is very close to my ideal day. Mm. Uh, and I feel, I love that you teach people that because I don't know. I mean, other, like, I think other people go the other way around, like see your 20 year plan and then reverse engineer your 20 year plan. But mm. I, don't, I don't, I don't know for some people that might work for, I like, I yeah. like constructing the most like, a day where you get to experience what you want to experience. Um, totally. And if you live your life doing that, then when you're dying, you look back and you're like, shit, like I, my days were what I wanted them to be. Um, I wasn't really doing that intentionally at the time. I saw this vision for what things could be. I had no idea how to go from where I was to those things. And so the gap between what I wanted things to be and where I was, I just filled that gap with 
self-hatred with disdain with frustration with like so so much self-criticism um which then of course makes it impossible to actualize that experience and so like there was a long time of that Mm -hmm. do you remember like any documentaries that you watched any books that you read that really stood out as like being instrumental in your spiritual growth yeah so the i think the first spiritual book so i was i was doing yoga a lot and um this i would just do this one dvd over and over and over again i would be in we'd be in our dorm room with my buddy jason and we'd like set it up with a space heater so we would try and make hot yoga and it was so small and we were watching this dvd over and over and over again and we're so high while doing it and I would learn so much from the stuff that the guy was talking about in the video. Like each time it was like, oh my God, I understand that. My body is doing that. And through those experiences, my body would only do that when I experienced a shift in consciousness. So I started to understand that consciousness reflects itself in the material world. And if you can shift your consciousness, then everything else changes to reflect your consciousness. So that was a huge thing for me. And then the first book was The Power of Now, which mm -hmm. is really beautiful that he wrote that book and made these concepts so accessible for people. Um, but I remember reading that and, and just having this experience of really getting it. I got what he was saying. And, um, and th that created this sense of certainty that these things were worth learning about. Um, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I don't think that book should be underrated. I actually want to read it again from this lens. Cause I read it about the same time when I was in college and taking way too much LSD, but like, thing, <laughs> like was just in my dorm with my buddy Zach and we were just consuming like EFT with Brad Yates and Teal Swan and just like um, Dolores Cannon, just getting obsessed with all things consciousness and interdimensional and, you know, <laughs> controlling the elements, yeah. changing our bodies. Like it was just really fascinating, but I think those are really monumental and instrumental times to like be the student and fully just be really excited about something too, yeah. because what I feel like you have you? to be excited about it. Right. A hundred percent. There's gotta yeah, yeah. be something about it where it's like, Oh fuck. Like I know this, I know this is right. And then mm -hmm. just like more information, more information, more information to just make what you already know clearer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You said what was driving me. I mean, I'd ask you the same thing too. I think it was like, I had been such a depressed teenager, like super depressed, struggling with eating disorders had entered the modeling world was just like, who am I? I feel like I'm suffocating in a way. And I had that moment of being like, okay, um, I'm not the victim here anymore. I'm in the driver's seat, like, and, and starting to learn all of these things and start to be able to implement these mindfulness practices was just so incredibly empowering. And I started to just notice that I felt better. That's it. I was mm. just feeling better and better every day. And I was like, this is really tangible. This is not like, this is actually changing my life. I'm becoming mm. a better and happier person. Mm. So that was all I needed. And it's been that way ever since. That's really cool. So driven by feeling better. Yeah. And, and what were you using to know that you felt better? Like, what are the things that let you know, oh, I'm feeling good right now? Oh, that's a great question. I think honestly, like 
spending more time in nature and just feeling like the simple joys of being out in the sunlight and starting to be able to sleep better at night and starting to be more social and starting uh-huh. to, you know, yeah. my curiosities and passions were driven up against. It was, it was more that I wasn't feeling so bad, like in, in these obsessive phases. Um, I think it was just a lot of like getting ready to meet certain measurements for fashion week, for example, was a huge yeah. part of like the depression that was going on. Yeah. It was just shrinking. And once I let that go, I was like, Oh my God, I can breathe. So it was more yeah. just like a relief and a, and a knowing that like we can choose a direction in which we go yeah. in and we can start to create this ourselves. Yeah. So I'm it was so more happy of that relief. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. I'm so happy for you. You got to release that. What it sounds like is that release. And this, so this is the way that I, I, I frame the world, like with myself and with clients, is that what we get to do is make a choice to live our lives optimizing our energy, optimizing our energy to be able to do more of the things that we enjoy doing, which then give us more energy to do more of the things that we enjoy doing. So what it sounds like is like engaging with modeling was depleting your energy and making it harder to do the things that you enjoy doing. And when you released that, then you had more energy to be in nature, like sleep better, um, which I think is an energetic thing. Engage with people. I, I think that's such a beautiful thing. And I, I really, really like seeing the world is like not judging the modeling industry as bad or even healthy or unhealthy. It's just simply what it sounds like is for you it depleted your energy. That's 100%. it. It's, oh yeah. It's not, yeah. Cause one of my dear friends is a very successful model and it comes so naturally to her. It's like mm. nothing. She's always wanted to model. She, it's just perfect for her. It's just absolutely right. But I, I know that it was part of my awakening and my kind of dark night of the soul in a way. And I could compare it to your baseball and your injury. Like it was stripped away from me because I just was not able to meet like what was necessary physically for that to happen. And it was like, who am I without beauty? Like I, I based in my entire identity on beauty and like, I am nothing if I'm not at this weight, if I'm not at this like uh, level of desirability from men specifically wow. too. So it was like, is that stripped away? I was like, oh my God, who am I? So I had kind of very similar moments of like, okay, so this is who I am without mm-hmm. all of these mm-hmm. uh, labels and everything. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy you got that. Mm-hmm. Right yeah. back at you. So I guess the next question I'll ask you is like, when you're working with clients and people are coming to you, what are most people struggling with? Like, is there a common theme that you're picking up on? Yeah. Um, So what a lot of people seem to be struggling with who are in my field of awareness, people who come to me are people who have, have woken up in some kind of way. So that could be a gradual process uh, or it could be like LSD and just like, like this, this shift in perspective and kind of like what you and I are talking about, like becoming aware that choice, we are able to make choices, right? So people become aware of this reality where we can make choices, 
but they haven't yet learned to make choices. So once they see that they can make choices and then they see this life that they'd like to be living, like maybe it's like, let's say it's like a life that aligns with their higher self or their intuition or whatever it is, however you want to speak about that. They have this vision for how life looks and they understand that in theory it's possible to actualize that and create that but up until this point they have just been living life essentially following prescriptions making choices unconsciously that's just perpetuating their conditioning so they're highly self-aware they are ambitious and creative they want to create a beautiful life with meaningful experiences but they haven't yet, but they feel super stuck because they just haven't yet been taught how to do that. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's generally who's coming to me. All right, popping in for a moment to chat with you about my confidence course. This is an eight module online self-mastery course and we go through everything from breaking and creating new habits to goal setting, to energy clearing rituals, EFT, guided visualization meditations, and so much more. So if you're feeling like you are just ready to up level in some way in your life, or you have a project that you've had in mind, but are just like a little nervous or scared to take the next step, or you just wanna to get to know yourself more deeply, this might just be the perfect thing for you right now. So you can go to helendenham.com slash course and check it out, see if it resonates. And I'll leave the link in the description below as well. All right, back to the episode. Mm, okay, so do you feel like they are up against a wall of like procrastination or they need to break some habits or they're facing fear? Like what do they need to overcome to start to self-actualize? Such a great question. Um, I think one, okay, so the major themes are trusting self, which means learning how to tap into intuition, which means knowing what intuition is and how to like appreciate intuition so that it becomes a more obvious thing. That's a big one. I think that's a really big one. And I like, I think that's such an interesting topic too. Um, so intuition and self-trust is one thing so that they can actually create their vision. So that's one thing. And then another thing is, I mean, it's really childhood trauma. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's getting clear on the vision and then identifying the parts of themselves that are afraid of stepping into that vision because of hurtful and overwhelming experiences. Um, yeah, those are the two like main things. Makes a lot of sense because we all carry some level of childhood quote unquote trauma, if you will, or just belief systems that get ingrained in us that are not serving us anymore. Yeah. Have there been any like self-limiting beliefs that you've been able to work through or have been working through recently? For me? Yeah, like yeah. any self-limiting beliefs that you've been like actively noticing and working toward and through. Yeah. Hmm like money blocks, relationship blocks, like larger goals for yourself. Like, is there anything that blocks you or that you're working Money on? blocks have been coming up. Um, I have been operating, so in terms of drama triangle, um, I have been operating 
very much with a uh, driven by a like identifying as a hero. Um, as I said, like I grew up with like, like everyone, a complicated family and my family, like there was so much love and joy and we had so much fun and also so much fucked up shit. Grew up in this super tiny apartment in Brooklyn, like one and a half bedrooms. And the way that I navigated like wanting to get out, like make it out and keep myself safe is to tunnel vision. I was like, okay, I'm learning this shit. I'm learning mind-body connection. I'm going to be one of the best mind-body connection practitioners in the world. And I know that that is going to put me in a position to be safe. And not only will that make me safe, I'll be able to make my sister safe. And ultimately, I know that my parents are going to continue these patterns and I'm going to have to save them too. So I have like, yeah, I've been motivated by this hero thing of trying to save people with money, but it's perpetuated by this belief that money isn't there. So in order for me to continue to enact this hero identity, I have to continue to believe that I'm not safe financially, that there's this like threat here that I have to fight against. And so I'm, I'm recently learning how to interact with that differently, um, to not save. And I actually don't even know what to replace that with right now. And I'm sure within the next year, I'll, I'll learn that, but I, yeah. So like learning to not save and more just like creating beauty and inviting people into that beauty if they would like. Um, so de definitely that like a shift into being an example of prosperity instead of scarcity. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Perfect. That's so well <laughs> said. Yes. Exactly. But well, I've been looking for people like that, you know, Lacey Phillips calls them <laughs> expanders who I always talk about her, but, um, yeah. Cause I, I had the same, my mentality growing up was like that money. Um, I had, well, first I had to be really good at math to ever be financially successful. And I was never mm. good at math. The mm. other thing was that money, if you were rich, you had to keep it quiet. Cause we had some wealthy friends growing up and, um, it was always like, do not talk about their money. Don't <sighs> tell people they have a private jet. Don't tell people <sighs> where they're going on this vacation or whatever. It was like, it, you should be kind of a little bit ashamed of having money and like that it was not a good thing. So a lot of my rewiring has been, if I make more money, I can support my community better and it's safe for me to make money. And like, this only helps everybody Right. So in, in a, a similar kind of brain shift there of, of unconditioning that as well. Do you like, okay. So, so reframing money. Cause it's not like that shameful belief about money is operating with the assumption that people are going to do bad, selfish, thing, bad, mm -hmm. selfish things with money, that money is always paired with harmfulness, which like we do have a lot of reason to believe that that's true. There are mm -hmm. a lot of examples of that, but that doesn't have to be true. So mm -hmm. what you sounds like you're looking to do is create a different definition of what it means to have money mm -hmm. where it's this thing that aligns with your values like generosity and whatever it is that you want to create like can you feel that in your body does that feel like a real thing to you 
Yeah. And you know, it's interesting that you say that and explain it like that because it's totally true. And I also think it's more about like being afraid of people taking from me if they know that I have money because I'm developing a project that could potentially make a lot of like NFTs. And so my fear is like, everybody's, they're going to jump on and be like, I want to, it's already kind of happening. Oh, and okay. I actually acted this out with somebody else. So it's been a huge lesson for me as well. Like I pounced on him when he got the opportunity and now people are pounced. So it's like, oh my gosh, if I come into this major financial success, everybody's going to want something from me. Oh, mm -hmm. so that's, is, mm -hmm. is that what like the hush hush energy was of yeah. your wealthy friends? Yep. It was like, they don't want it to be known because it's the assumption that if people know you have money, they're going to pounce and try and, yeah. oh, yeah. that's. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't so much, which I think a lot of people think like rich people are bad people. It, it wasn't really about that. It was more like keep it quiet so that people don't um, come for your energy and come for your wealth kind of thing. So it's like more of like being uh, fear of being seen, I guess, really is what it could boil down to is being completely seen for who you are, what you're working on, everything and knowing how to set boundaries. So this has been a big boundary lesson and it That's, hasn't even happened yet but it's right but, it, but you're still operating with this construction of a narrative about the future when it does yeah. happen right yes That's so interesting also really interesting that i just learned about one of my beliefs by projecting the meaning onto them wanting to be hush hush about it like me me saying that it's about like money is bad mm -hmm. i think that that's probably something that i've been conditioned to believe mm -hmm. um, well, yeah. that, that so, makes sense though mm -hmm. yeah okay i'm excited to be able to explore that that's good <laughs> <laughs> right it's like getting down to like what is it like what really is it and and all of that yeah oh my gosh so much we could go into there as well um i mean let's see i'm looking at my other questions for you as well oh are there any like teachers specifically that are coming up for you now like anything that you're loving researching now like whether it's biohacking or you know getting into nature like what topics are really inspiring to you right now um right now what's really inspiring to me is uh i'm i'm reading steve jobs jobs's jobs by bi uh biography and I'm feeling really inspired by his biography. I'm not feeling inspired by the way that he treats people, mm. but like, I'm also so inspired by and in awe of what he created with Apple um, and why he wanted to do it. Like what was driving him is so fascinating to me because I think I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated by this thing that Apple is, and a couple other things are like Levi's, which is how normally the way that the cultural bell curve works is that the more people are aware of something and have it, the less cool it becomes. And then the fewer people want to have it. Right. Mm -hmm. But Apple, it's not that the, like everyone has an iPhone. I know that everyone, but you know, and it's still somehow considered to be the best thing and the like the right thing, you know? And there are only a few examples of that that I'm aware of. Um, Levi's is another one where like, even if you don't want to be wearing Levi's, like you still don't have a shitty association with them. They're still like a beautiful, cool, iconic thing. Um, and I'm, I'm just, 
like that to me is fascinating. And I feel really inspired by that. And I feel really inspired by his commitment to um, creating beauty in the most innovative, simple and accessible ways. Like he really wanted to make beauty and like not just beauty, but like the most perfect beauty all the way down to how the microchips are developed. He wanted to make beauty available for every single person. And he knew that if he was infusing this energy of beauty, like this creating a soul of beauty in his product, that people would just feel that it's the right thing. Mm -hmm. And so he was able to produce this level of quality that like, I just am astounded by. Um, so that's that's what I've been into recently. Yeah, I like that you use the word beauty because it's so true. It's this timelessness. It's this elegance to every piece. And like, that's why I think people gravitate toward it is the beauty. And like somebody who was explaining this, I forget his name, um, uh, Zach Bush, I think that's his mm -hmm. name, was explaining like, holiness and like godliness as beauty at, at, at its very essence that humans search for beauty in all things because mm. it's like this direct connection to source mm. so there is something about it and the same with the levi's actually because they're just great quality that's like right. beautiful clothing like everybody wants to wear like it's just it's awesome clothes it's, do you right? feel like you're working toward that in your own business and like your own is that why you're drawn to it because you're trying to emulate the same kind of thing yeah, I, I want to take these concepts of uh, like personal development is really what it is and package them in a way that everyone experiences as beautiful because so much of the stuff about like consciousness, um, spirituality and personal development, it, it feels very segmented. It's like it's either it's either exclusive to particular communities and people it's just the same thing with any other tribal belonging thing people use the same language they're like are more interested in the people who in the group that they want to belong to that kind of thing which like such a normal thing to do i get that um it's either that or it's like wearing a headset playing black eyed peas and like pumping the crowd up getting awkward white people to clap as you're introducing the thing you know what i'm saying like yeah and neither of those things feel i don't like either of those things and mm -hmm. i want to take these concepts and make it like like because the thing about an iphone is like it's not just beautiful the experience of interacting with it is beautiful it helps you be good at technology it supports your development because it's so intentional mm -hmm. and i want for these kinds of concepts for personal development to be that digestible and that infused with love and intention. Mm, that's brilliant. Yeah. I love your mindset around that as well. That's really, yes. I have a Steve Jobs book on my shelf now that you're like inspiring me to read. Yes. And so you'll read it. And when you learn about it, he was the biggest asshole that's ever existed, yeah. which is a, just a really interesting piece of all of this. Mm-hmm is like he simultaneously embodied the most dickhead energy of all time and created this thing that is infused with love. And mm -hmm. I don't know how to reconcile that, but it just is what happened. 
Yeah. But it's just classic human beings. Nobody's perfect. And we're all, you know, kind of fucked up in our own little ways, I guess. But it is fascinating how you can have so much respect for somebody who was an asshole. Yeah. I don't really believe, I mean, I don't really believe there's a place for anger really anymore. Like I think it can be used to release and feel heat, but when directed at anybody else, I don't really believe that there's a place for it. Would you agree with that? <clears throat> yeah, I definitely see anger as a thing to be infected by. It feels like an infection. Mm -hmm. However, that's also a judgment about anger. True. So I really, I take this position. I, I just go back to that position of energy, like energy or so when I'm evaluating anger, I'm asking myself, like, does being in a state of anger produce more energy for me to do more of the things that I want to do? And it's a pretty clear no. Though situationally in the short term, it might like anger might be a valuable thing in one short term particular context, which is I from my understanding, why anger evolved was just to navigate and survive a very small particular context. Um, but yeah, I, I'm trying, like, I'm not evaluating it from the place of healthy or unhealthy, good or bad, but just does this give me energy to do more of the things that I want to do, not taking a morally righteous position on it. And it's a pretty clear no for me. And mm -hmm. so um, then what that makes me do is just want to play around with strategies and experiments to experience less anger. Um, because honestly, like I, I think that, so, so you could say like, okay, well, anger is obviously bad because the more we have all this research to say, to suggest that anger and heart disease are related. And if you develop heart disease, then you die earlier and that's bad. Well, how can you prove that's bad? You mm -hmm. we can't know that it's bad that people die earlier. Mm -hmm. We can't know that it's bad that people suffer. We can only know that doing things that ultimately make us die earlier, doing those things give us less energy to do other things. That's the only thing that we can know. Mm -hmm. um, so I take that position. Yeah, no, I love that so much. And I take back making a blanket statement, like there's not a place for it. Because when you think about it, like sometimes anger or just heat is needed to use to create massive movements, like the war in Ukraine, for example, and just like humanitarian issues where the world needs to get angry and start to apply pressure to, to make change. I think this came up because I was watching a masterclass on the art of negotiation and uh, the guy teaching oh, the class cool. was uh, talking about getting people out of hostage situations. Mm -hmm. He said, people who are angry just leave a trail of like, it never works. I've yeah. never gotten through a negotiation with anger. Yeah. It's never worked. Yes. So I think that's why I brought that up because no, no, it's but you, more like communication. Mm -hmm. You're what, so I a million percent agree with you that anger okay so if 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 someone is doing something to someone else that is contributing to that other person's suffering in some way or i won't even say suffering i'll just say if someone else is enacting force on another person externally or internally and i don't like that it's my preference to not do that then if i engage with that person angrily i'm reducing my chances of creating the result that i want 
which is for them to not impose force on the other person. Yeah. And so I just don't think that anger is an effective strategy for producing the results that we want to produce. That's it. Totally. Yeah. I really agree with that. Very well said. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Flint, I could just talk with you for hours. I feel like we'll have to get you back on the show in uh, months down the line or something. It was, I'm so grateful for your presence, your existence in this space. It's really refreshing to talk with you. So uh, if people want to work with you, if they want to find you online, how can we connect with you? Sure. Um, on Instagram, Flint Skidmore, um, or my website, which is flintskidmore.com. I work with people one-on-one. Uh, and I'm also launching something called the self-creation container, uh, on April 11th, um, which is this like hybrid online course slash virtual experience where it's really addressing, it's designed to address that thing of high levels of self-awareness, like desire for an amazing life. But like, how do I take the actions to make that happen. So I want to, with that, I want to be helping people see themselves as an artist in every domain in their life. They get to create the experiences that they want. Um, so that's launching April 11th. Um, so right now, those are the two ways of working with me. Um, I'm also doing this thing. I want to just start to like speak with more people and hear about what more people are navigating and what more people want from their lives, what matters to people. So I'm doing this thing called After Hours, which is just this free thing where also what I want to do is like lift the veil off of the therapeutic process. And so like in a group of people, I'm going to be working one-on-one -on -one with someone the way that I would work with someone one-on-one -on -one in any context, but just sort of like in a voyeuristic way. Amazing. Oh, that's really exciting. I'm just looking at the calendar and, and people will be able to find your launch like when this episode comes out. So that'll cool. be awesome. Do you work with women too, or just men? I think it's 50-50 women and men right awesome. now. Yes. So cool. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited for people to hear from you. And I'm thank really you grateful. so much. I, you're such a great question asker. You're so kind and in tune. And I really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Thank you for having it be a conversation. It was really nice to have like back and forth with you and just bounce some ideas around. So thank awesome. you. Yay. All right, my friends, thank you so much for being here and hanging out with us today. I hope you're feeling inspired and lifted and called to action in some area of your life. And of course, everything we chatted about is linked in the description below. A couple more things on my end. If you are curious about cultivating a meditation practice or continuing an existing one, I'm teaching meditation a few times a week with Unplug, The Den, and Be Meditation. If you go to helendenham.com meditate, you'll find uh, my schedule and links to sign up for all these meditations. There are also a couple free meditations every month with Be Meditation, so keep an eye out for that. I also am very active on Instagram at Helen Denham underscore yay. And on my website, you'll also find links to lots of amazing blog posts. We've got more Q&A interviews coming up on the blog. And of course, you'll find my self-mastery course, Cultivating Confidence, is available there. And I also have a one-on-one -on -one mentorship seven-week series that's available for you if you want to apply for that. And just keep an eye out for more to come. So sending you so much love, blessings, have a beautiful rest of your day or your evening, wherever you are. Thank you again, and I'll talk to you soon.